So if you haven't guessed yet, I do play basketball. And for those of you, so to save you the trouble of asking, I'm six foot nine. Hallelujah. So that's part of my story. I have a simple message for you today. And uh, it's God's time for you. And it is God's time for this region. It's God's time for Salinas. And God wants to use you and measure, he wants to use you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to use me. Beyond what you can imagine. So I figured the best way to tell it is just to introduce myself a little and tell my story. Um, so I grew up in Southern California. And probably unlike a lot of you, I grew up in a beautiful Christian home. Oh, by the way, this is my son, Teo. Teo, stand up. Oh, uh, well, okay, just wave. Uh, I got four kids, been married uh, 23 years in full-time ministry. I've been married 23 years to one woman. You got to clarify all those things in the bear. <laughs> and we got four lovely kids. Uh, August 3rd, we're going to be celebrating our 23rd anniversary. So, uh, and August 2nd, August 2nd, I turned 29. No, I turned 49. And uh, uh, best birthday present I ever got was my wife. Praise God. But uh, I grew up in a beautiful uh, Christian home in uh, Atalanto in Southern California. And um, if you go out L.A., if you go from L.A. out towards Vegas, as you go through the Cajon Pass, you go into this dry desert. And if you look at the driest part of that desert, there's the city, Atalanta, where I grew up. I had wonderful Christian parents. And, um, uh, but probably the religious context I grew up in was more religious. Than it wasn't really full of life. You know, we were those cessationists type of people. So we believe that all the good stuff ended with the death of the apostles. So all the miracles and all those stuff, that was for, now it could happen today, but on the mission field a long ways away, just, you know, we just didn't believe it was supposed to be part of our experience. That's what I was raised in. Anyway, so, um, you know, I don't really have any excuses. I had great parents, but I walked away from the Lord. I think I got, you know, hurt by religion. So I wandered in junior high and high school, ended up going playing basketball at the Master's College, if you've heard of that, uh, um, in Southern California, is an NAIA school, and the Lord bribed me to go there, he offered me a scholarship, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was there that uh, uh, I was actually on a missions trip in Europe, on the summer after, before my sophomore year, I went on the missions trip because I wanted to play basketball in Europe, you know, and God, God is just crazy. He'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. So the judgment I'd always made is at least I'm not a hypocrite. So he put me in a, he exposed my own hypocrisy. <laughs> and it was on that trip that uh, uh, the other teammates played, uh, testified, shared their testimony. It's interesting. It was the first time I saw men, well, young guys that I could look up to who were hungry for the Lord, who I could really identify as someone I could say was cool. You know, these were guys that were, and they were talking about how for them, basketball was so important. But when they gave their life to the Lord, it, it renewed their zeal. It wasn't any less because they were playing for the king of the universe. 
that was probably my first understanding of what we call now marketplace ministry. Because you know, all Christians are in full-time ministry. You don't have to be behind the pulpit. In fact, the ones who need, to be a, pa need a pastor the most are the lost sheep. The lost sheep, I mean, if they're in church on Sunday, 90% of the job has already been done. The sheep who need a pastor the most are the lost sheep. And the lost sheep, who pastors them? All y'all in the marketplace. And we need to understand all Christians are in full-time ministry. Some are called to pulpit ministry, but all of us are called to marketplace ministry. And we need to understand that our labor is worship. And we bring the presence and the power of God everywhere we go, 24-7. So that was my first sort of glimpse of that. Back then, it's like, I want to play for the king. And I want my joy to be restored. Because, you know, sin is fun for a season, but, man, it gets old quick, you know? So it ends in death. And that's where I was. So I surrendered my life to the Lord. I was uh, 19 years old. The next year, I had the opportunity to go down to Argentina with this crazy guy named Dr. Ed Silvoso. They wanted to bring a team down there, a basketball team, and when I went down there, historians say the Argentine revival is the longest-running revival in modern history. And we were there in the midst of it. It's still going on. In fact, the Lord is reviving the revival. It's incredible stuff. But I went there and got to see God move in the most powerful way. And I'm, you know, young, 19, almost 20. In fact, I think I had my birthday down there. And I got to see a city turned upside down. When I talk about revival, I'm not talking about just a series of meetings in a church that people come to. I'm talking about Jesus showing up, kicking us in our backside, getting us outside of the four walls, <laughs> activating our faith, going into the society and changing the society. I got to go visit a prison, almost prison in Argentina. First time I went there in 1996, I think. 800 of the 3,000 inmates were born again, spirit-filled. The last time I visited in 2008, 1,800 of the 3,000 inmates were born again, spirit-filled. Like they had a 24-7 house of prayer that had been running over 20, 25 years continually in the prison. Okay, and you think that's crazy. This prison was a hub, which means every year they turn over a third of their population. 30% graduate. They either get shipped out to other places in the prison system or return to society. That means every year they had to reach a third of the inmates just to stay even. So that evangelistic growth Put yourself in my shoes, a young, impressionable, 20-year-old kid. I walk into this prison. It looks a bit like uh, San Quentin, if you've been there, built in the same era. So I, I'd never been in a place like that, okay? I, 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 you know, some of you guys have, you know, I was raised kind of sheltered. I mean, so <laughs> it's scary, you know, and they're teasing us, like, you know, don't, 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 don't do this or that, or, you know, you'll meet the last group that, <laughs> that went in and they didn't get to come out, you know, and I'm like, the double doors, and it's like, oh, scary, and they say, do not have any contact with the inmates. I'm like, you're not allowed to touch them. They're giving us the... Then I get in there. The first clue I had that something weird was happening 
is the pastor said, oh, we're going to have a meeting with a few of our leaders. 500. I'm like, 500 is a few of your leaders? I'm like, what's going on here? We get in there and it's like, there's no guards anywhere. And there's these little like string between these, you know, little boards that's like, this is our guardrail, like to keep us away from the inmates. Like, and we have like 20, 30 internationals there. I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity for, you know, them to take us hostages, you know. They started, they started having a testimony service, and this is the late 90s. They decided the theme would be, God can do anything, and God can heal AIDS. They had a dozen inmates get up and share their story about how God had healed them of AIDS. So I'm sitting there with my, you know, oh, this is interesting, I want to hear this, okay? And I know that God can save people. I've heard testimonies about that, but how does, tell me the magic, how, how does... How do you heal AIDS? How does God heal AIDS? And the first story, this guy telling this heart-wrenching story, like, I can't remember all the details, but something like, when my, I saw my father murder my mother, I got so angry and I just ran out and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you saw your father murder your mother? And I went here and I got involved in gangs and I did this and I tried to turn it around and nothing helped and, you know. And then he, when the when he gets to the point in the story of when he'd contracted AIDS, I'm thinking, brother, AIDS is the least of your problems. <laughs> and it was over and over. I tried this, I tried that. I tried, you know, I, I tried to turn around. Nothing helped. And then I came here, I came, and I met Jesus, and Jesus saved me. And now I'm sitting, okay, Jesus saves you. I know how he saves you. Now where's the magic? Tell me how you get healed AIDS. He said, oh, and I got, and he healed me of AIDS. Like, that's an afterthought. <laughs> okay, next one up. And I'm sitting there, see the Lord's trying to renew my mind. We had the next guy's story, I go, I thought that first guy was messed up. He was just the warm-up act. You're worse than him. And it just kept going like that. You know, we, we, I'd heard testimonies like that, but if we got a testimony like that, we paraded them all across California because they didn't happen that often, you know? And everyone was the same thing. I got saved and he healed me. And it's like the healing's an afterthought. Like, yeah, I got saved. Of course he's going to heal me. And I'm sitting there. They had to cut the testimony service off. Not because they ran out of guys who could testify, because we ran out of time. And I'm leaving, and this one inmate, because I spoke a little bit of Spanish, because, you know, he wanted to tell me his story about how he got healed of AIDS. And I go, poor guy, it wasn't dramatic enough for you to get up on the platform. And I'm sitting there. And it just hits me, you know. Lord says, those simple little inmates, they don't know anything else. They're just lost. They get saved, they cast the devils out of them, and they teach them how to pray. And they say, this is the cell block you're in. That's the cell block that the lost are in. Put your hands on it and pray that what will happen to them what happened to you. And they would pray, and they'd pray for miracles and signs and wonders and God would answer. That's how they grew and just took over the entire prison and began to take over the entire prison system. I don't even have time to tell you about Christ the only hope across the street. 100% born again. The entire prison. Hallelujah. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, these inmates believe 
you know, I thought like, you know those like, you know, your, your, your brother-in-law who's this radical Pentecostal, you know, and he's had this experience of speaking in tongues when he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he lay hands and, and he prays for you, you know, and he's got these old ladies that, you know, are praying for you. And like, they just believe that you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to speak in tongues. And there's no way to get out of that situation, either to have an encounter with God <laughs> or fake it. <laughs> there's no other way to graciously get out of that situation. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's a little awkward, you know, maybe give me a little space there. <laughs> and I thought about that. <laughs> the Lord, and I feel the Lord telling me, those poor simple little inmates, <laughs> they believe that if you get saved and you have AIDS, God will heal you. It's just part of the package. It's what Jesus died for. And I had to confront all my intellectualism. Oh, I'm so much smarter than them. I've got a degree. I know the Bible back and forth. And, you know, they've learned the Bible pretty well, but they don't know anything else. And I began to think, why is that? Why do they, why do they believe that? Well, that's their experience. They don't know anything else. And I feel the Lord just challenging me. You need to become like a child. You need to humble yourself. You've gotten so smart that you've lost faith. These signs will follow those who believe. They read it and they believe it. So they don't know anything else. So this was pretty radical experience for me. I remember coming home and, you know, I was on fire and sharing with some older man who was in ministry that I really looked up to. And I think he was glad because, I mean, you know, I was kind of obnoxious before. So at least I was on fire for Jesus. And, but I remember telling him all this stuff and saying, man, God did this in Argentina. And I'm believe there's God, God wants to send a revival to the high desert. We need it. I got 15 more minutes. Wow. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good. I love 15. I do have a time guy. That's good. Thank you. But he interrupted me. Now I forget what I was saying. Okay. High desert. Okay. And I'm meeting with this older minister and he's like, Pat me on the back, and he gave me a piece of wisdom. Now, I know where he's coming from, so I don't want you to think that I'm arrogant. I know that he knew that he'd been in ministry a while, and he knew that ministry is a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know? So if you rush too fast at the beginning, you're going to burn out. Okay, so that's the good side. But he patted me on the back, and he says, Ted, that's what God did in Argentina. You can't expect him to do that here. And I'm like, Praise God I was wise enough to not receive that. <laughs> I said, no. Yeah, sure, it's not going to be like Argentina. Argentina's different because if he moved, I mean, you know, we'd, he'd have to teach us all Spanish, or half of us. You know, I mean, he's going to do it different. God loves us too, you know. <laughs> it's going to be different. The flavor is going to be different, but it's the same spirit. Because God is not the God of Argentina. How come we can have faith for these miracles as long as they're far away? How come we'll believe and fight and maybe we'll lay our lives down? We're certainly willing to crucify somebody else to believe that the scripture is true and that every single miracle that happened in here is real. 
As long as it happens a long time in history. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. About that time, a friend of mine, young kid, about four years older than me, grew up in the same Christian school. And I'm having these, read this book, this will mess you up. I'd been down there and I'd seen the revival and Ed Savoso explains it. He talks about how our division grieves the Holy Spirit. Talks about how we can ungrieve the Holy Spirit by repenting. What a novel idea. About how important it is. There's one church in the city. And we've got to come together in unity. And that it's not an elect, select few of celebrity ministers that are going to reach the city. It's about mobilizing everybody in the body of Christ to go out and to cover the city with prayer and with intercession. And that when we pray, we can change the spiritual climate. And I'm just crying out to God. Then I heard the news that my friend, he had been battling with, you know, bipolar. And uh, he'd gotten off. He was a good kid, raised in a Christian home. He was going to a Christian school, just, just one of the ones in our district that we would play against. And he was on the basketball team. He was like the upcoming star, uh, you know, after I left. So he really looked up to me. And, you know, I'd play with him, play basketball with him. I heard the tragic news that, you know, he got off his medicine and went crazy and jumped off an overpass and killed himself. Man, it just broke my heart. And I, when I hear stuff like that, I think, man, that, that just shouldn't happen. Where's the power of God? And not to point the finger at anybody, but the other side is like, if this is what's happening in the church, you know, that's the one I know about. But that's happening all over. What about the people who've never even heard Jesus? California needs Jesus. And he needs us. And I was, cr the Lord just put this passion in my heart. I came back. That's why I joined this ministry, Transform Our World. That was 23 years ago. We haven't looked back. Been up here and. I've been based in San Jose this whole time. We've been based in San Jose this whole time. And seeing incredible, incre how much time have I got? Incredible things happening all over the... 18 minutes. The Holy Trinity, three minutes. He said eight, and he's the boss. Okay. okay. And crying out, God, we've seen it happen in Argentina, in our ministry these 23 years, is seeing it happen all over the globe. One of my friends, Pancho Morguia, who I will introduce you all to, one of Jeff Taylor's friends as well. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> He's coming right here to Monterey in October. I'll introduce you to him. He went down, same prison, had the same encounter with me. He was pastoring a church in Juarez, Mexico at the time. Goes back and says, God, I've got a, I pastored, I've succeeded as a pastor, but I'm not influencing my city, not the way they are. And he started all over to go reach his city. God started moving really powerfully. And then things took a turn for the worst. How do you know that sometimes when you follow the Lord, it's not all, all wine and roses. You go through some hard times. His city went through some hard times. A cartel war broke out there. And this violence just escalated. It became the most violent city in the world. You might have remember it in the news. 2009 to 2012. 
on a good night, 12 people would be murdered. A dozen people would be murdered. On a bad night, it'd be 40 people murdered. This is right in 2012. Imagine waking up, taking your kid to school, and on the main overpass that you're driving them to, there's 10 corpses hung there, beheaded, hung there for everyone to see. And it was the cartel just saying, don't mess with us. This is what happened. Violence was out of control. And uh, it wasn't just the violence. A third of the city fled. A third of the businesses shut down. Of those businesses that remain, 90% of them were paying extortion money. This is our friend, okay? I want to tell you the power of prayer. We were in San Jose in late 2012. He shared at our global conference. And he shared about dying to yourself. And if you want to reach your city, you've got to lay down your life. Despise your life, even unto death. That's how you overcome the devil. I mean, it's a message we'd all heard. But when you hear it in that when it really happens, man, it touches you so deeply. Not a dry eye in the spot. But after that, I mean, he had already decided, you know, I mean, the devil had tempted him to, to leave the city. He'd flee with everybody else. Well-meaning friends would call him up and say, hey, Poncho, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You got a wife. You got kids. Leave the city. And he says, no, if the pastors leave, what hope is there for the people? I'm not leaving. The devil's leaving. So he'd, Amen. So he had already decided that he wasn't going to leave. But we're meeting with him in San Jose with our friend. And i got to send my friend Vince back to a war zone where he's on the hit list of both cartels. What do you do? I mean, you need a word from God. And we're praying for him, laying hands on him. This is in late 2012. And the Holy Spirit speaks in that, you know, still small voice. And he says, the violence in your city is not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. The problem in your city is that it's an orphan. And I want you to go back and change that. Go adopt your city. Man, we all felt it. We prayed for him. And commissioned him to go back. He goes back, and now he's got the orders. What do you do? I don't know, but the Lord shows him the next step. So i got to adopt the city. Goes up to a high place. We're praying for him, but it wasn't this big confrontation with the devil. He just stands up there, and he says, Juarez, you're an orphan no more, because in the name of Jesus Christ, I am adopting you. Folks, miracle after miracle after miracle began to happen. It was a tipping point. You can get this book. I have several copies here that you can get for a suggested donation. <laughs> you can come hear the rest of the story in October. You can meet Poncho for real. Uh, I mean, in person. You can go to our website or our app. We have a documentary we did on that. Within 18 months, the violence had dropped 90%. It had normalized. Now the city has been completely transformed. Miracle after miracle. God is saving so many cartel members, it's just supernaturally saving them, providing the way. God is moving with power. But folks, this is the killer, and this is the message I want to share with you. When that happened in San Jose, okay, there's real power. We have just confronted the most violent city in the world, and the Holy Spirit came 
and not by might, not by power, but it changed it. And I'm sitting there and saying, God, that's beautiful for Juarez, but what about right here? I want it right here. You can't just do it there and forget about us. And we've been crying out, Lord, when are you going to do it here? How many of you have been praying prayers with me? When are you going to do it here? I believe now is the time. Now is God's time. In fact, that is why we're bringing our global conference here. Because God told us shortly after that, now's my time for the Bay Area. I want to visit the Bay Area. And he began to speak to me and say, you think the Bay Area is the redhead stepsister in the body of Christ? That eventually, after I move all over, you can go to Argentina and get the power of God and maybe come back and... And if you got a whole lot, I might also have something left over. He says, Ted, you're thinking so carnal. I desire that none should perish. Man, these stories get me fired up. But I want to tell you, the conviction that the Lord keeps getting me, bringing me back to, Jesus already died 2,019 years ago. And he already rose from the dead. And he desires that none should perish. And he spoke to us and says, I want to visit California. I have had this place in mind from the beginning. And if you're from someplace else and watching the stream, claim it for your area. There's an abundance. But I'm talking about where we're at right now. He wants to do it. And we believe he wants to do something incredible right now. And he says, I need you, speaking to us, Dr. Ed Savoso, our team, to give your very best. That's why we took our global conference and planted it here because that's our very best that's the challenge I want to put before you it's God's time for this region I'm believing it's God's time for Teo I'm believing it's God's time for me I'm laying hold of that I'm saying Lord these dreams I've had let's brush them off yeah I'm learning to be weak and when I'm weak you're strong and I'll be weak but I want your power to be made manifest through me I want to see this stuff here. I don't want to just see a reflection a little bit. I don't want to hear about the Argentine revival. I want to see it right here. And the Lord's saying, give your very best. And that's the challenge I want to put before you. Give your very best. It's God's time for this region. It's God's time for me to finish. And it's God's time for Dave. Stand up, please. If you're willing to give your very best, all right. May I pray? Come on up here, Dave. Come on up, Vince. If you're standing up, raise your hand. If you're saying, yes, I'm going to give my very best. Lord, you see this, Lord. Lord, you see this. This is, this is, uh, this is before you. We're raising our hands and saying, yes, Lord. We'll give our very best, Lord. Receive our sacrifice, Lord, because it's all about you, Lord. And it's about your son, who died and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.